0: here's the problem with children not smoking.
1: Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey.
0: And I'm Elliot.
1: And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get up close and personal with the lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. Speaking of real-life bad behavior, uh, I'm finally vaccinated, so there's no rules anymore.
0: Is that true? Is that true?
1: Yes. Shot girl summer.
0: Uh, I think, actually, one, there are still rules.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And
0: two, I don't think you would be around other people if the pandemic had never occurred. This is true.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's That uh, parody of hot girl summer, hot girl bummer. That's, that's more my... <laughs> that's the, your jam? That's my jam, yeah. I mean, I plan on wearing a mask forever now.
0: Yeah, you just have permission, implicitly. Never have to show your face again. That's right. Put never. on
1: some shades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Indistinguishable from all of the other white girls with brown hair.
0: <laughs> there you go. Look, it's like, a, it's like the bank robber mystique, mm. but now people will just think you're being responsible.
1: Even with the vaccine, I'm not going to be walking around without the mask.
0: I mean, eventually, yes. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to getting rid of it and being like, yay, it's all good. Yeah, I don't know. I think light at the end of the tunnel, it feels good. Mm -hmm. You know what else I'm excited about? Biden's infrastructure bill. You know what? Let me tell
1: you. Okay, so here we go. I have a proposition to (laughs) cut this bit. And here's what it's going to be. You, me... In this closet, after we record this episode, we're going to record a five-minute conversation (laughs) about the Biden infrastructure, and that's bonus content for the week.
0: No, see, here's the thing. Mm. You think you could do justice to Biden's infrastructure bill in a five-minute mini-episode? You were about
1: to try to do it in like 90 seconds before we get to your hero, so I'm being generous. The actual
0: plan here is to derail the original episode and just sneak in a full episode, (laughs) but if you're not interested right now I mean, like we. How are you going to pay for it? We haven't even talked about the alternative minimum corporate tax yet, right? Just shut down the international tax loophole business entirely. Sorry about Ireland. Sorry about your luck, right? But no, but no, that's not what we're going to talk about today. You apparently. can have six
1: minutes. I'll compromise. Six minutes on the infrastructure bill. Give the people something they've never asked for, <laughs> probably don't want, are not going to listen to, but that you will enjoy. I as my gift to you. But we actually owe our listeners a gift of a legitimate episode this week. Are you prepared to give our listeners a gift?
0: Yes, fine.
1: Who's our hero this week?
0: This week's hero, the voice of Bugs Bunny himself, Mr. Mel Blank.
1: If my memory serves me correctly, this is the second hero in a row
0: that you've done that is about... Bunnies? Okay, yes. So we don't have to make this a thing. Yes, technically speaking, this no, is two bunnies in a row. You know what? Double down.
1: Now, this is an entire <laughs> show about bunnies.
0: <laughs> don't back down. I'm not getting weird about this. Um, That's a shame. I'm not trying to get weird about this. <laughs> uh, so, what do you know about Mel Blank?
1: Absolutely nothing. I mean, nothing. I never even heard his name before. Until you said, hey, this week, I'm going to do Mel Blank," And I was like, who's that? And you said, the voice of Bugs Bunny. And I said, I've heard of Bugs Bunny. That's the extent of
0: it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Prepare to be enlightened. Hit me with it. On May 30th, 1908, he was born Melvin Jerome Blank in San Francisco, California. He was born to a family of modest means. And very shortly after he was born, they moved to Portland, Oregon, uh, where he grew up. Heard of it. He started smoking at the age of nine. Oh, wow. Yes.
1: Okay. He's a little stressed, I mean, a little tension, yeah. got to calm his nerves. What's it's, going on there? I mean, it was,
0: Yeah, it was World War One, so right, <laughs> he it against him. I, mean, I
1: yeah. mean, like, we get, you know, kids who are stressed these days, a little... Stress balls to squeeze <laughs> in a therapist, and they're just passing out packs of cigarettes. You know, I
0: can't argue with the results. If you start smoking at nine, I bet that's, like, very good for your voice. Yeah. I mean, like, so here's the problem with children not smoking. <laughs>
1: okay. Right? So
0: have you ever spoken to children? Too many children.
1: I used to be a teacher. We have a child. Like, I have heard the voices of children echoing in hallways. If
0: you don't get those children smoking early, (laughs) their voices are very (laughs) high-pitched, not pleasant to listen to. But, however, Mm. if you have those children smoke from an early age, they develop this nice, raspy, deep baritone that then sets them up for a lifetime of successful voice acting.
1: Have you told this to Joe Camel? Get <laughs> Philip Morris on the line. <laughs> New marketing tactic. Hook him young. There we go. Yeah. Um, Do you want to be a star, children? Here's some cigarettes.
0: Be a star. Yikes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So he was also a bit of a ruffian. He was not very good at school. Oh, um, you think? Yeah, yes. He was a little bit of a rebel. Uh, in fact, uh, when he was 19, mm-hmm. his teacher told him, no, when he was 16, his teacher told him, that he was never going to mount to anything with a name like blank. So, instead, he changed it to blank but spelled with a uh, c instead of a k. So, like Blanc. Yes, well, except with the pronunciation still the same as blank.
1: And you're certain of that. Actually, well, you're okay. certain. You're certain that this man who started smoking at 9 is a bit worldly if you will. The wars going on didn't change his last name to be Blanc. He's, you got to really sell the Parisian
0: child <laughs> smoker here. Okay. Well, so now that you mentioned it, I this entire time, I've seen it written mm-hmm. many times throughout my childhood. I, I read a ton about him, but I never watched any videos. Yeah, it, it may have been pronounced Blanc, Mel Blanc. That makes actually a lot more sense now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Any Mel Blanc slash Blanc experts, <laughs> like real experts out there, give us a call. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I'm actually... Uh, I'm... I have to bust out the Google music again. One second. Okay, so having Googled and actually YouTubed this thoroughly, it is Mel Blanc. He stuck with Blanc. Just, he had the opportunity to be the nine-year-old smoker, Ney Blanc, but instead stuck with Blanc, just spelled with a C instead of a K.
1: Huge, huge missed opportunity.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. He didn't let that stop him. Changing
1: Uh, his name? (laughs) Or the shitty
0: teacher? (laughs) <laughs> either, either. The bad name change, the bad choice of name change, mm-hmm. or the teacher. At 19, he went to go make it big in radio. It's the Depression. It is a form of communication where you can reach a ton of people with entertainment. Mm-hmm. He was a good musician, so he was a composer, Or not a composer, an uh, orchestra leader for a while. Wow. A conductor. Uh, thank you. Conductor is what I'm looking for. Eventually, he met his wife. Estelle Rosenbaum. They married when he was twenty-five in nineteen thirty-three, and they found themselves a little radio show in Portland called Cobwebs and Nuts.
1: They they picked that name.
0: Yes, on purpose. Apparently so. (laughs) About spiders and squirrels.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What's it even about?
0: (laughs) No. Okay. So apparently it was it was about they were like uh he ran in the show his character ran a mechanic shop to like repair Mm. cars that were like cobwebby old and nuts and bolts and stuff um i say his character but actually the problem was they only had the two of them and they had to keep increasing the size of the cast to tell new stories okay and as mel said they wouldn't allow me to hire anybody else because they were too damn cheap it taught me these many, many voices. It went on for two years. Basically had to invent an entire company of people, <laughs> all of the actors.
1: And he's um, only got one voice, cigarette voice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, he started with one, but then he like he was always did funny voices as a kid, too, so he just like keeps making up new ones. And eventually, mm-hmm. over the course of the years, he ends up making dozens of characters that are part of the show for them. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, he does it for two years, though, and then he says, "Is finally his wife said to him, quote, you wanna continue with the show or do you wanna have a nervous breakdown?
1: Oh yeah. I uh I understand that sentiment.
0: <laughs> yes. Do you wanna keep calling the show? <laughs> yeah. <stuff>? Intimately. <laughs> do you um, wanna have a nervous breakdown? The unofficial motto of Meet Your Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you
1: like to spend hours in the closet with your partner every week or uh Yeah, just go go nuts. Yeah, exactly. Um You know, I to be fair, it is always good to have options. And have 50% of those options be have a nervous breakdown because <laughs> yes. it it kind of makes the other one more appealing. You, yeah. you work a little harder. You stay a little more nimble.
0: Yeah. Well, they, they, it's true. Um, and I do have to admit, though, this show, I think everybody out there would have to admit they'd be incredibly impressed if you found out that this was all a big lead up to me revealing that there's only one person here and I've been doing both voices the whole time. Right. <laughs> Pretty damn impressive, if you ask me.
1: Incredibly. Uh,
0: But uh, they did not choose to keep doing the show and have a nervous breakdown. Uh, They decided they were going to get out Mm. and head to L.A. and try to make it big in Hollywood. That's where it happens. The year is 1936. They move out to L.A. He's got this set of voices he's been practicing, and he goes to audition for Warner Brothers. He does the audition, and... They're just blown away. He's hired on the spot, and they ask him to play this new character. They show him the reel. He watches some of the animation, mm. and he invents the voice for Porky Pig. Oh. That's his first one. Huge hit. After a year of that, knocking out, news, knocking out cartoon reels, uh, Bugs Bunny, he invents a year later. Sure. That's like
1: right around wartime. Isn't that Bugs Bunny's purpose?
0: Well, so Bugs Bunny is doing pro-war propaganda. Got it. Also doing training films for the troops. Yes. Um, doing all kinds of patriotic things. But also a big part of it is just making sure you have entertainment for the home front, right? Trying to keep people entertained, cheap movies and like mm-hmm. things to keep morale up. He is so successful. He is hired by other studios almost right away to try to do things for them. So he, in this time period, invents... The voice for the Woody Woodpecker character with his like signature laugh. Mm. He wow, this is a range. Yeah, this is a range. Like Bugs Bunny, Woody Woodpecker, Porky Pig. Then he goes. Disney calls him away for three weeks. Has him do uh, some work on Pinocchio. Mm. Um, although, in kind of sucks he does like th- three weeks of this work, uh, recording a whole role in the movie Pinocchio. And then they decide that they're going to make that character mute. It was the little <laughs> cat that Pinocchio has. Oh, God. So they just cut all his fucking lines. The only sound from him in this whole movie is like when the cat sneezes one time. That was him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Um,
1: what a surprise. Yeah.
0: They, although his voice does live on in, if you've ever been to Disney World in the Magic Kingdom, Cousin Orville in the attraction, The Carousel of Progress, still has Mel Blanc's voice. Mm-hmm. They've like updated it a ton of times and replaced all the other voice actors, but they kept his little segment of the ride. Outside of this like few weeks of work for Disney, Warner Brothers and I said, oh, if we don't sign this guy to a contract, he's going to go other places and he's really good at what he does.
1: And just like we've talked about in the past, this is the age of Hollywood where you were contracted to a studio, right? This is like the late 30s, 40s, 50s. You didn't have an agent or a publicist. You had a studio that was like, your ours. You're our employee
0: and we will pay you for X amount of Yeah, and at the time, that was true of screen actors. Oh. But films, or animated films, rather, weren't seen as very serious. And so their first impulse was not to sign him on a contract. Wow. Right? So he was just kind of floating around. But as soon as they realized, like, all of these other rival studios were picking him up and starting to build successful characters with him, they're like, he's got something special. And in fact, around this time, at a doctor, gets his throat inspected just for checking other medical conditions and it turns out his vocal cords the doctor says like are not just like weirdly genetically powerful like the only time he's seen vocal cords like this is on this famous opera singer named Enrico Caruso, uh, who was, like, world famous at the time. So, like, he is legitimately, like, the smoking's working out for him is what I'm trying to say. Sure, sure,
1: (laughs) sure. Did, Did they, like, ensure his vocal cords like they do with, like, Giselle's legs?
0: I mean, essentially, so what they did was, in response, they just signed him to immediately do a contract. Okay. This is 1941, and... What's almost unheard of, he will be under contract for Warner Brothers exclusively for the next two decades. Wow. Like, just nonstop. And as soon as they have him signed, they have him voice 90% of their animated characters. What? Yeah, 90%. So, this is the part that, like, is hard to wrap your mind around. Everything from, like, Bugs Bunny, uh, who he said, like, they told him he was like... uh, they kept using the word stinker, right? He was, like, this kind of tough guy. So he just came up with the mm-hmm. toughest accents he could, which he said was, like, a combination of the Brooklyn and the Bronx. Okay. And that's what Bugs Bunny was. Real quick,
1: he did not voice Bugs Bunny in 1996 Classic Space Jam, did he? We're going to get to that. What? Okay. Oh, so, spoiler, I I was making a joke there, but now I'm giddy with anticipation. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: so then Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck, apparently he said it was, uh, you know, just, trying to speak through a um, duck bill. Sylvester the cat mm-hmm. was the easiest for him because basically it was just natural voice with like a spray put on it, he said. Okay. Like, like that T.H. Thuffer and thing. Was, oh, okay. That was Sylvester. Tweety Bird, mm-hmm. the same one. Yosemite Sam, See that was the hardest voice because it was just like almost, you know, yelling at times. Yes. <laughs> um. Although, you, okay, so quick side note about Yosemite Sam. Mm, I
1: love Yosemite Sam.
0: So I mean, well... <laughs> I'll determine
1: if I love him after this side note. Go ahead.
0: Okay. So this side (laughs) note was that um, if if you'll remember, the United States previously had a different president than it does right now. Mm. Uh, And so when the prior president was signing a thing about national parks, (laughs) (laughs) said he was very happy to be signing something about... Uh, Yosemite National Park. I,
1: I do, I do recall this, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. But it turns out that Yosemite Sam actually got his name because there was a man who he was modeled after who actually was Jewish. Oh no. So Yosemite Sam was actually designed to be a Semite.
1: Oh wow. Okay. By,
0: but by a Jewish animator. Sure, sure, so they thought sure, it was sure, a funny sure. joke. And and Yosemite <laughs> is also not the correct pronunciation. Let's no. be clear.
1: Uh, here's my side note about Yosemite Sam. My dad is a pretty good artist, but uh, the character that he has perfected beyond all the other characters is Yosemite Sam. And at I one point, yeah, in my childhood home, my mom had used this is like very early 90s stencils and nice paint to create like a f- like drew a f- red fence around the bottom of our Room, yeah, right, and like flowers, Very made it look like 90s. a little garden.
0: Very 90s, that yeah. And then my
1: dad painted a humongous wall size Yosemite Sam right <laughs> above it <laughs> because my sister wanted it. <laughs> oh, He would go on to paint Snoopy and okay. Bugs Bunny on oh. our walls.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I bet your mom was thrilled.
1: Sure. I'll have to find some pictures. Maybe yeah. Maybe I'll go through pictures if I can find Whoa, them wait. and put them on our Instagram.
0: Hold on. So I've never made this connection before, but is that who drew your somebody Sam neck tattoo? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, oh, the original. It, I didn't realize the original.
0: It, it meant so much to you. <laughs>
1: <gasps> okay, so he is voicing Yosemite Sam, who probably is racist in his own right. Yeah, now that Yosemite I think about Sam it. Yosemite
0: is, Sam is just a rootin' tootin' cowboy. I mean, like, there's, oh. And there's probably more. I can't recall much. Well, if you'd like to talk about racist cartoon characters for a second. Okay. Always. Let's talk about Speedy Gonzales. Oh. So Speedy Gonzalez, for those of you who don't remember, is this little Mexican mouse.
1: Is he actually the one that says Andale, Andalee?
0: Yeah. So sometimes he's like running in the desert and getting shot at but he does say all these things. Underly okay. arriba, he runs
1: okay, so very fast. Maybe not Yosemite Sam, it's the mouse.
0: Yes. So Mel Blanc voices the mouse. So Speedy Gonzalez has been nominated for an Academy Award <laughs> four times. No. Which is the record What? For anyone of Mexican descent. He's not even Mexican! No, no. it's a Mexican character. Definitely not of Mexican descent when Mel Blanc voiced him. Um, And in fact, so the 1950s cartoon uh, Speedy Gonzales won an Academy Award
1: for short cartoon. I don't like that.
0: The only other Mexican man to have won is Anthony Quinn. So on the list of Mexican men who have won an Academy Award, Mm -hmm. it goes Anthony Quinn with two, Mm -hmm. Speedy Gonzalez with one. Who
1: is neither a man nor Mexican.
0: (laughs) And then no one else.
1: Oh, my God! Yes.
0: Yes. Mel Blanc does this, like, caricature of a Mexican voice. ABC, uh, in the 1980s, later banned him from the airwaves uh, because... The, quote, title character represents a stereotypical image that is not offset by any other Latino television characters. Yeah, you think? Yeah, uh, Cartoon Network did the same in the 90s. Historians have, have said, like, you know, this cartoon specifically helped popularize this corrosive stereotype of the drunk and lethargic Mexicans at the time. Oof. The interesting thing about this character, though. So just last month, Gustavo Arroyo in the L.A. Times wrote a defense of Speedy González... On behalf of his massive popularity with Mexican people, both living in Mexico and in the United States. Quite the conundrum. Yeah. And one of the reasons that he goes into depth about is that at the time and even now, when people saw this cartoon in Mexico or when they were Mm -hmm. immigrants or people of Mexican descent in the United States, uh, Speeding Gonzalez was one of the only representations of anybody of Mexican heritage on television or film. And even though there's a lot of stereotypical parts, mm-hmm. it was fundamentally the story of this Mexican character outwitting this American cat. And so, like, he, he writes a very, like, deliberate and thoughtful defense about, not just in his own personal experience, but in the people around him, about what it actually meant to have that kind of representation when it wasn't, like, outwardly dismissive or mocking, and it was just enough to, like, be somebody to see that, like, had that representation. And how that, in and of itself was enough for people to hang on to and reclaim. And so now, in the upcoming Space Jam movie, hmm. uh, Speedy Gonzales is being played by Gabriel Iglesias, who is like, I love it, right? Like, I've always loved this character. Like, I want to reclaim this. Like, this is like wow, this famous Mexican character. Yeah, so so even though it was Mel Blanc doing what was a really offensive caricature of what you would hope that it would look like, just the fact that it was any representation there has proved, like... Paint this interesting, like, complex story of, like, how important representation actually is to people wherever they can find it.
1: As someone who is overrepresented, whose image, like, likeness is overrepresented in all media, I certainly cannot speak for marginalized groups of people or have my opinion essentially matter more. I am shocked by that. That is a a complexity that I will grapple with.
0: There are also times in this period while Mel Blanc is under contract at WB, where he is doing voices that are both, not just like stereotypical, um, but incredibly racist Mm. and uh, no one can find any redeeming qualities in the work whatsoever.
1: I am not surprised about that at all.
0: Yes. So we are going to start with one example. This film is called Coal Black and the Seven Dwarfs. No, 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 no. So it's written in this vernacular uh, spelling D E instead of V, and seven spelled S E B B E N dwarves.
1: Oh my God! What ta- what year is this?
0: Uh, so this is 1943. No. 1943.
1: Right after Walt Disney got done making his other Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, 19 like 41, that had a lot of uh, questionable things about it as well.
0: Yes. So W B Warner Brothers releases this parody, which Ooh. is a musical remake. With all black characters. I'm going to begin by reading you verbatim a review from the motion picture exhibitor. It said, quote... From that time. Yes, from this time, from 1943. Okay. The motion picture exhibitor said, quote, A satire on Snow White done in blackface, set in modern swing. This is the best in a long time. It's very funny. What? And then the film daily agreed and said, quote... Set This One Down as a rather amusing satire on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. All the characters in the latter are replaced by darkies. The dwarves come to rescue in a way that makes for numerous laughs.
1: They don't know what satire is. That is not satirical. That is horrible.
0: No, yes, yes, to be very specific. So if you watch this, it's pretty shocking. So there's this really great piece by uh, Christopher Lehman, who's the chair of the Department of Ethnic, Gender, and Women's Studies at St. Cloud State University in Minnesota. He actually has written this a book on the representation of black people in America in animation in the first half of the 20th century. He, he describes it like this. The entire cast is African American caricatures. Uh, the directors sought African Americans to voice those characters and perform the film's music. I'm gonna say here, with the exception of Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc plays all the dwarves. They did find black voice actors from musicals to play the other characters. Except for Mel Blanc. It continues. Wolf. Several several books and articles have noted uh, his fondness for African-American jazz and his insistence on the entertainers he hired for the film. As a result, the cartoon sounds unique among all the cartoons produced by Warner Brothers before or since. But let's be clear, not only was Mel Blanc voicing some of them, it was all-white writer, all-white animators,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I'm going to continue this quote from Dr. Lehman. All of the characters have the standard ethnic caricature of big lips, and the prince has dice for teeth, an homage to the hoary gambling stereotypes attached to African Americans. The dialect, ab- dialect abounds right down to the prince's full name, which is Prince Cha-Min, C-H-A-W-M-I-N, mm. and the full title of the cartoon itself. The songs also have the dialect, as when the heroine, sing- heroine whose name is So White, sings I Wash All Day, among them the dwarves are characters of other entertainers and the wicked queen is a bandana and slippers away from a mammy.
1: Oh no.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> this is What? So Mel Blanc is in the middle of what is this extremely racist and like very misguided attempt to like portray black culture, right? The thing to point out here is that this was not like a uh, thoughtful loving attempt to portray right like the best parts of it it reflected yeah, how could it be right it reflected the stereotypes of the worst parts of the poverty that black americans were being forced into into jim crow south i mean the mn N- and A- C- immediately said this is incredibly racist Stop. Yes, like at the time it was it was immediately clear that this was just a continuation of all of the worst stereotypes that justified, essentially, the apartheid state that you had in in the South. Yeah. People say it was a different time. Like, at the Mm -mm. time, everyone Mm -mm. understood. Mm -mm. Yes. Right? Like, what was racist, and this was it. And
1: And they were all for it. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, the difference is not that people knew it was right or wrong. It's that they were, like, all in on the wrong. But
0: there's this interesting element, too, where it's so... It was extractive of some parts of Black culture, right? So, like, it, it went and found the music that was popular that they were fond of, right? Like, pulled this out to commercialize this in a way that, like, tried to, you know, extract these things that, like, white people would more and more over the course of the next few decades, like, start to incorporate into their own popular culture, right? Through jazz, through appropriate, other pop- appropriate. Thank you. Through mm-hmm. through jazz and through these other mechanisms, but also, right do this in a way that, like, othered and distanced from the actual people who were performing it. And so, again, in this room when this is happening, even though some Black voice actors are brought in, Mel Blanc is, like, right alongside them doing these stereotypical voices of Black characters in a way that is very different than Tweety Bird, you might say.
1: You might say.
0: This film ends up being so incredibly racist that it becomes one of what is uh, today known as the censored 11.
1: There's 10 more?
0: (laughs) Well, yes. Okay. There's actually many more. Okay. But in the many more really racist cartoons that get made around this time, there are 11 that are so bad that... People actively sought to buy up the rights to be able to make sure that they did not make it to air or distribution. Oh my gosh. Mel Blank stars in nine of them. Wow. Yes. He is right in the thick of the worst possible projects. And and to avoid like any kind of like letting him off the hook, he had risen to a amount of fame at this stage yeah. that that made him not just unique in the studio, but unique across the entire country and world in terms of voice acting. Mm-hmm. So he was the only artist in voice acting who'd ever negotiated to put his name above the title on the credits page. So if you ever go see old Bugs Bunny cartoons, it will mm-hmm. say a Mel Blanc cartoon sure. at the top because- He's probably doing all the voices. Even if he isn't, he's the only voice actor that gets credited, right? So he Mm -hmm. has, like, this ability to pick and choose projects, right? He has this control. Yeah. And he still decides, finds his way into 90% of the absolute worst, most racist cartoons that anybody makes and that are actively, like, sought out to be bottled up and avoid being shown in the future. I wanted to start with this Snow White cartoon because... It presents this interesting case where you see this appropriation of black culture in a way where there's like some stories that like people really valued the music and, and then built these like really r- racist visual characterizations around them and like enforced these stereotypes. All of the other ones, there's, no, there's actually just no redeeming value whatsoever. It is just a, a cartoon that's made to be funny by othering and mocking the stereotypes of black people in a way that justifies systemic oppression, right? Like, I mean,
1: I don't think that first example is any better. I don't. To some degree, it's like insult to injury where you're like, oh, I actually like this part of this specific culture that is not mine. I'm going to take it and use it to profit. But at the same time as this thing that I'm like stealing and enjoying, I'm going to further uh, propagate misinformation and uh, stereotypes that will in very permanent and systemic ways oppress millions of people, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people.
0: Yeah. I mean, so the reason that I think there is this tension, even when you read some black scholars who have thought deeply about this topic on uh, on this one or maybe one other cartoon is because just like in the Speedy Gonzalez example, mm-hmm. um, there are so few representations of black culture the black experience in media at this time right that like some people are like even if it is in the face of all of these racist tropes like this is the one place where like somebody took seriously some aspect of black life and like demonstrated it on screen in mm-hmm. a way that wasn't exclusively about exploitation that said they get bored of that very quickly when they find other ways and just continue to make a lot of other films that have no redeeming representations and are nothing but tropes and exploitation and racism.
1: I am not a black scholar who has thought deeply about this. It just feels very uncomfortable to consider all of that. And,
0: wow. The long legacy of uncomplicated racism of the animation complex that Mel Blanc was in the thick of in this time. The direct mainlining <laughs> racism. Right. Includes films like Jungle Jitters, where nope. a traveling salesman knocks on door to a group of African cannibals. Oh, which, what? Yes. All the natives, of course, right, have like the speak gibberish and have like mm-hmm. all of the tropes of blackface you would expect. There is All This and Rabbit Stew, where a it's like an... Uh, imagine if you had the Elmer Fudd type cartoon with the Bugs Bunny, right? So it's a Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd type thing where there's a hunter trying to get Bugs Bunny. Um, but it's noticeable because Elmer Fudd is always outsmarted. But in this one, because it is a blackface character, it is a much more confused, much more dumbed down. And the visual gags are all around how they they, they portray him as like a literal sucker at times, right? Oh, yeah, like like he's a sucker. Um, also, like they, they play to his vices. Like At the, the end, he's literally gambled all his clothes away in the middle of the forest.
1: Oh, no. Right?
0: It's just like, imagine Elmer Fudd, but if you're like, how do you make this person look worse? Angel Puss was another one, which was, on this list, it's considered one of the single most offensive of the cartoons. There is a cat who's trying to outsmart a black man who's trying to drown him. The black character's design and voice and superstition are all just like, the the worst combination. Basically if you if you look for any of these patterns, you find all of them in this one cartoon and Mel Blanc again is the star and is just like in the thick of this production.
1: Does he just roll into the studio and is like, what racist bullshit do you have for
0: me today? Let's go? I mean, he's got his choice of projects at this time, right? What? And there are other people, again, who will do these cartoons, they don't get credit for them, uh and Mel Blanc is is signing up for projects. I've kind of left out some of the just very racist, anti-Japanese war cartoons as well that are worked into some of these alongside some of the other racism. Oh, well, Um, don't
1: worry. If our listeners want those, they can go back to the Dr. Seuss and Walt Disney episodes. Yes,
0: exactly. Right. So we've covered two other animators Mm -hmm. who explicitly did like the anti uh, or the war propaganda that was very explicitly uh, anti-Japanese, anti-Asian.
1: Happening at the same time.
0: Yes, happening at the same time. The the complicating part of this legacy, right, is at the same time he's doing these, he's also basically inventing the voices and characters for all of the people in the movie Space Jam, right? No,
1: so, no, like, no. So we're no. talking Bugs
0: Bunny, Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, Tweety Bird, Sylvester the Cat, oh. Yosemite oh, okay. yeah. Sam, right? Like
1: not not for that story of Space Jam, the just movie the characters, Space Jam,
0: right? But every car- right, all these characters that show up, the Tasmanian... canonical
1: Warner Brothers, yeah,
0: right, Tasmanian Devil, Marvin the Martian, Pepe Le Pew, mm-hmm. the uh...
1: who will not be in this Space Jam,
0: no, because he's like the sexual assault skunk, right? Yeah, like, yeah.
1: too, too <laughs> yes. much rape. For or yes. sexual assault for uh, this version of the upcoming version of Space Jam.
0: Wiley Coyote, when Wiley Coyote really does a voice, he does that one. Heathcliff the cat, eventually he does. Basically, over the next 20 years, he does this mix of things that will become classics in animation, and also so incredibly racist, they will never see the light of day. That's his jam, right? That's his mix. Uh, 20 years after he originally signs it in 1940 1960, his contract with the Warner Brothers expires. Uh, and so he goes to wherever he can make the most money, which ends up being Hanna-Barbera. So he does things like The Flintstones. Oh. He does the voice of Barney Rubble and the Pet Time Sword, Dino.
1: Hi, this is Meet Your Heroes. We're here to ruin your childhood.
0: <laughs> yes. Every character you love is voiced by a racist. It's true. In 1961, he is driving home from this um, Flintstones job. With on his
1: feet? No, pedals. <laughs> right, bend, He's, he's method yes. acting. He's cut the floor <laughs> from underneath his pedals.
0: <laughs> Pushing his way down. Mm-hmm. Um, he is on Sunset Boulevard. He gets to the stretch that was known as Dead Man's Curve. Ominous. Which, as you can imagine, is not going to be good news. He turns it and a college student collides with him head on. Smashes the car up. The college student walks away, but he suffers triple skull bone displacements. Oh! Which, I was trying to think about what a skull bone bone displacement meant, and I imagine it's like probably not poking out, but it's not in the right place for sure.
1: That is what displacement would imply. Yes. Um, I am not a medical professional. No. No. So I'm here. I'm always willing to speculate wildly. Yeah.
0: I'm happy to give medical advice as long as nobody takes it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Good way to handle
0: it. Yes. Uh, so yeah, so triple fractures in his head, breaks both of his legs, his pelvis, uh, is in a coma. And for multiple weeks, they try to wake him up and mm. like do all kinds of like their best cutting edge therapies and are... Unsuccessful. One day, a doctor walks in and says, hey, Bugs Bunny, how you doing today? And immediately, he replies, Meh, what's up, doc? In his Bugs Bunny voice. No! From the coma. No. And they're like, Mel, Mel, can you hear us? And nothing. No <gasps> response. And so, they, so then they go, and they're like, uh, Tweety Bird, are you in there? And he responds in the Tweety Bird voice. Over the next three days, uh-uh. they talk exclusively to the cartoon characters and are able to pull him out of this coma By having him respond in these voices.
1: Wow. What if, picture this, here's my theory. He fully, fully aware, fully aware that this is what they were doing. And he's like, (laughs) I am a shithead. Here we go. I am going to not respond when they say no. Any of the others? Fair game. Let's see if they can solve this puzzle.
0: I'm literally playing the slow game for this once in a lifetime solution where I'm in the hospital and I get to say, what's up doc to the doctor coming (laughs) out of a coma. Fuck you. It's worth it.
1: There you go. To be fair although I would not wish a coma on anyone, if you are going to break all the bones below your hips, it's probably best that you heal, like you're in a coma while they heal, because that probably hurts like a motherfucker.
0: Unfortunately for him, he wakes up well before they're all healed.
1: Ah, So he wakes
0: up three days later, and he's definitely still in a body cast. (laughs) Um, He's in the hospital for over two months before he can get home. He gets home two months, he's still in his body cast this whole time, and while he's there... Warner Brothers rolls in a microphone? He actually records no. episodes of... The, it's Hyanna-Barbera at this point, but they, they roll in and he records episodes of the Flintstones with a mic hanging from the ceiling over his bed while he's in a full body cast.
1: Capitalism stops for nothing. <laughs> nothing!
0: Uh, it's pretty intense. Wow. 1985. The age of 77. Uh, believe it or not, he is diagnosed with emphysema. No! <laughs> oh, took that long? Yeah, it really did. He does quit smoking, finally. and um, What's the point at that point? I mean, you're right. Mm. Uh, 1988, though, in one of his last major performances, he does not make it all the way to Space Jam, unfortunately.
1: You know what? That actually makes me more comfortable about how much I love Space Jam and how long I wore that Space Jam jersey as <laughs> pajamas.
0: Yeah. God, it was... Up until, what, four weeks ago? Yeah,
1: yeah. That uh, Space Jam jersey I got as a (laughs) 10-year-old. Yes. In
0: 1988, he does perform in Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
1: Really? And
0: so he did the voices of Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and Porky Pig and Tweety Bird and Sylvester. One thing I didn't realize about uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit... It was massively popular. It kicked off this new era of animation that, frankly, had like really died down since the Disney classic era. Yeah, it was financed by Disney. Wow. It was made by Steven Spielberg, and so he also Mm -hmm. like co-produced it. But it is the only time in cinema history that characters from all of the major animation studios appeared in the same film. So it was Disney characters and WB and MGM and 20th Century Fox, like Mm -hmm. all. And Danny DeVito. And Danny DeVito. Yeah, who don't forget Danny. And Michael Jordan?
1: Did he? Wait, no, um, is it a different
0: film? Different
1: yeah. film. The hot girl in the movie is that him?
0: Jessica Rabbit?
1: Is that her name? With the red sparkly dress, purple gloves.
0: I couldn't find any confirmation, but okay. if it is, that's very uncomfortable.
1: Sorry, I'm still not sure about that. <laughs> in case you're wondering, uh, my phone just captured that. Thought it was. Thought I was asking, or my watch just. Thought I was asking you a question. <laughs> well,
0: uh, I'm, g- I'm glad that's not that's not the case. I don't think he did Jessica Rabbit, but with this final knockout performance, where he repri- reprised 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 all the characters, mm-hmm. less than two months later, he was back in the hospital in a coughing fit, never left, and died 1988 at the age of 80. Mm-hmm. His tombstone says Mel Blanc with a 90- C
1: or a K. You wouldn't know. I don't with know why C. I asked that.
0: I, I saw the tombstone. Yes, it's, it's Mel Blanc with the C. So it's
1: like legit changed. Okay, official, Mel, official.
0: Mel Blanc, mm-hmm. 1908. Okay. To 1988. Uh huh. That's all, folks.
1: Oh, no. Yes.
0: That's what it says.
1: <laughs> I guess that's the only appropriate way to end it.
0: Whoa. Yes. Um. So despite the fact that he is considered as the most prolific voice actor in the history of the industry, and despite the fact that he created almost a thousand unique voices, and despite the fact that he not only has a Hollywood Walk of Fame star for him and Bugs Bunny, Mm -hmm. because of all the very prominent and persistent and deliberate and calculated racism that pervades his body of work, I would have to say that Mel Blanc is not my hero. Hear me out.
1: Our kid's not nine yet. We can still get them smoking. (laughs) Yes. We now have a goal, a thousand voices. That's all they need.
0: It's an incredible opportunity. It's an incredible opportunity. Literally once in a lifetime.
1: Break history or like make history, break the record, end the racism.
0: Yeah. This is our moonshot. I think we do it. If people would like to have other recommendations and reasons why they should get their kids smoking in the future. (laughs) Where can they find us?
1: They can find us on social media at your heroes pod or on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com.
0: Yep, and please like, share, rate, review, spread the word, tell your friends. And until next week,
1: don't be a hero.
0: Don't be a hero.
1: Bye.